Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. フクシュゲンシャビゼンジチナミニセポ読んでズダントナスツネヌコレオミテイクワクサライジンナリナンゾヘンサンリサラザゾコタイテイワクダルマトロニキタラズミソサイテンニイカズセポコレオシカリトス Entangling Vines, Case 43 Bodhidharma didn't come to China Seppo Gison called Gensha Shibi of Fuzhou a true ascetic and whenever he saw him he said you are a reborn sage why don't you go on pilgrimage to study Zen in response Gensha said, Bodhidharma didn't come to China. The second ancestor didn't go to India. Seppo accepted this answer. How wonderful to sit knee to knee once again in this zendo here at New York Zendo. Whatever might have happened over the last two years, it has not taken away the power of coming together. And it has not broken that thread of our beating hearts that has continued to this day. It has not interrupted for all of us who are here, our heartbeat, our breath. We might have experienced hardships, inconveniences, but also tremendous loss. For some, the loss is far away in numbers. We hear from statistics on the various media channels. But for some, it's very close. Practitioners who disappeared parents, siblings, children, always to be remembered. Remembered in the way that with our breath and our heartbeat, we continue to march on in this endeavor of humanity 
that brought us here on this March 12th, 2022, into this building at 223 East 67th Street. And each little piece of wood in the floor was touched by the Sangha. Literally, when the floor was reinstalled, but by everyone who has come to this place for over 50 years. And without So and Roshi, none of this would have happened. So you might sometimes think, oh, another ceremony. Now look at this person there. He can't even pick up the offerings without dropping half of them. You know, that's a great teaching. Things don't work out in an ideal fashion. The sweets were so plentiful that they showed us like the apples, what gravity is like. And gravity itself is a great lesson for us because it sometimes is used to demonstrate how the activity of Dharma works. And if we're interested in something, it is to get into the core of this activity of Dharma. There was nobody wishing for those apples to hit the floor. It just happens. No difference with sweets. They just drop. The activity of gravity works without will and desire. It just works. It's a natural activity. Apples, sweets, leaves, whatever it is, it just is subject to it. No will, no desire. It's not because I was bad that the apples fell or that it was a gift from the activity of gravity. No, just very plainly, boom. So simple, isn't it? Zen practice in one word, boom, happening. However, we are human beings. We are not apples that fall off an offering tray. We have limbs, we have eyes, we have ears, we have hearts. And we can use them in a different fashion than inanimate objects. Objects that are not willfully moving through space. Gravity moves without will, as I just said. But then comes a being like we. And we willfully move through space. So refined that we work and dance together with the activity that we call gravity, allowing us to whirl across this world like a dance floor, to run 
to walk all of it. So being a human being has always been looked upon in this teaching of the Buddha as something very auspicious. Auspicious and full of responsibility. And the responsibility that we have is to live up to that humanity. And that's not always easy. As I just pointed out, we lost people. We see terrible things happening in the world. It's bad enough if it's a natural disaster. And it is even worse, chilling to the bone, to the core of your heart, if you know that atrocities are committed by human beings, not just against the planet, but against other fellow human beings like us, just by the mere chance that they live in a specific place or that they were born looking a specific way or even worse, having that combination of having the wrong skin color in the wrong place. So what are we going to do about all of that? It's a good question. Coming here is certainly one important step. And believe it or not, the koan today from the Shuman Katoshu also speaks about this. And So and Roshi's commemoration and his life also very deeply connects with this question. So, the traditional way of looking at the corn is that first we look at the people who appear in it. In this case, it is Seppo, Gison, and Gensha Shibi, where Gensha Shibi is uh, the less, less well-known, but Seppo Gison is quite well-known uh, to many of us. Seppo Gison lived from 822 until 908 in the common era. He appears in five cases of this collection, Entangling Vines, the Shumon Katoshu. He was born in the province that nowadays is called Fujian. His family name was Zeng. He started out early entering the monastery as a layperson at the age of 12. And he was ordained at the age of 17. And he lived in the time of the great persecution of Buddhism in China. The Emperor Buzong, 814 until 846, went after the Buddhists, had the monasteries torn down. Monks and nuns were stripped of their habits. They had to wear secular clothes. There was no way that they could continue as they had 
it's interesting to be aware of the fact that at that time in China, many of the schools that were not the Zen school were still adhering to the rules that were uh, transmitted from India. And in the Indian Buddhist tradition, it is frowned upon to till the ground because you could injure a being in there. So with the thought of ahimsa, of not doing harm, most of these monastics depended on arms. We know in the Zen tradition, even nowadays, there's takuhatsu, where the monks go around and hold out the arms bowl. But it changed with the Zen tradition a little bit because suddenly Hyakuto Ekai appeared and told his monks, you know, a day without work is a day without food. And the Zen tradition opened up that work. Samu, the action, the actionable practice of the Dharma, even to monastics. But during that persecution, none of it was allowed. We are still related to that and relating to it. All of us here, all of you here who wear this rakusu around your neck will remember that it is the abbreviated form of this big uh, surplice that kesa, but it was made in a smaller form so you could wear it underneath your garments to live up to your vow that you had given as a Buddhist monk or a Buddhist nun. Nowadays, we proudly wear it out on the outside. But we should always be aware that people were willing to give their lives for that kind of opportunity to practice. And Seppo Gison lived in that time. He did hide in the mountains and studied with a teacher uh, all of you might remember the story about Seppo not awakening as quickly as he wanted. Sounds familiar, huh? And that one day in, in the snowstorm, they got snowed in. He and uh, one of his monk's friends, uh, Ganto Zenkatz, and Seppo was doing Zazen, very stern. Ganto was just lying there, waiting for the storm to pass. And it came to an interchange in which Sepotin said, how can you do this? I have not awoken yet. And finally, they talked on a level that they hadn't connected on before. And Ganto gave these wonderful words of, haven't you heard that the family treasure doesn't enter through the front gate? In other words, the front gate, what are the gates that we have? Ears, eyes, and so on. You can listen to this as long as you want. That's not where it comes from. The family treasures comes from inside the house, inside ourselves, inside our hearts. So this is what we have to know about Seppo. The second person, Gensha Shibi, he was a, a little younger. 
835. So that, that is uh, 13 years younger than Seppo Gison. And he was born in the Fujian province. His family name was She. And he had something in common with the sixth ancestor. He could not read. He could not write. He worked as a fisherman. No education for 30 years. And at age 30, suddenly he had the urge to become a monk. And he joined an assembly. He ended up finally under Seppo Gison and became Seppo's successor. Having lived this simple life of a fisherman, Gensha was used to wearing very rough clothes, no shoes. So the sandals that were offered at the monastery, even though they made, were made from the straw that would cut into your feet if you walked very far. He appreciated it all. He practiced Zazen diligently all the time. And one day he decided, okay, I shall take myself onto this Angya on a pilgrimage to visit with other teachers. There were many teachers in that time. And just studying in one place would be like eating always at the same restaurant and calling yourself a food critic. <laughs> yeah, very local food critic for one restaurant. But so here, going and seeing others, other teachers was really, really important during that time. And so he left the province, which he has ne never left, and he ascended uh, to the ridge of the mountains that was surrounding the province. And just as he came to this notch or to the top of that pass, he looked around and he went forward. And since he didn't have any shoes, he stubbed his toe. Ah! It was very painful. And suddenly he had this awakening. At this occasion, he said the words that we have in this koan. He exclaimed, Bodhidharma did not come to China. The second ancestor did not go to India. That was the expression of his awakening. Now, I don't want to see you without shoes out in the streets of New York, hoping for such uh, a thing to happen, you might step into something that might even feel warm, <laughs> especially in the winter. But this is not how it works. Like the apples were ripe to fall off the offering tray, Gensha's toe was ripe to make true relationship with that sharp piece of rock and jolt him out of a state of confusion. So these two guys, Seppo and Gensha, very close in age, both died in the same year, 908, 
of the common time. And they knew each other really, really well. It is said that they could communicate and interact without ever having to speak about it. It was so clear what was coming next between the two of them. So it is not surprising that in the koan, it starts with Seppo Gison calling Gensha a true ascetic. Now that we understand that he truly was an ascetic, having lived for 30 years as a, an illiterate fisherman, living hand to mouth, engaging in fishing, which, of course, according to this ahimsa, the do not harm, already is a practice that has some kind of karma or some effects with it. It's called akusala, unskillful acts. And even though he was unskillfully acting as a fisherman, he awoke to the need to go and investigate this a little further. And let me just take a little uh, gulp of that water and then let me connect this to what I wanted to say about Soren Roshi today. This is endless vow. The Zen path of Soen Nakagawa presented with an introduction by Edo Taishimano, compiled and translated by Kazuaki Tanahashi and Shingeroshi. So since we live in 2022, I wanted to pick out a very specific part of Soen Roshi's experience in life. This is 1944, looking up and seeing a large formation of B-29s for the first time. Air raid. Earth, water, fire, and air bombing these four elements. Form, feeling, thought, volition, and consciousness. Annihilating these five skandhas. Sitting here, I hear a roar in winter's blue sky. Five, six planes go overhead. Then, five, six, one. Sparkling stars in the daytime darting like eyes. Those who fly the planes are light-haired strangers. The flashes, the blasts, the explosions come closer. 
Ah, an air raid on myself. March 10th, 1945. In commemoration of the multitudes killed in the massive air raid over Tokyo. Ryosho no Hinoko. Hitonoko Minakuni. Early spring spirits spark up into emptiness. Winter 1945. Rebirth. Having survived the fire, leafless trees shiver under the dawn sky. A couple with a child pass through Burdened by unbearable anxiety about the day. Monks with begging bowls appear. Five monks. Six. Another group of five. Seven. One. Flapping ink black sleeves. Stepping silently in straw sandals, absorbed in thought, gazing far beyond. Those who give are empty. Those who receive are empty. Offerings themselves are empty. Step by step, they practice these three empty circles. Chanting, oh, oh, oh. Thus, the voice of Dharma fills the devastated city from one end to the other. All insects under the ground are awakened, all seeds nod to each other. And the capital, which disappeared like a dream, will again be born like a dream. So set forth the Prajna Paramita Mantra. Set forth this mantra and say, Gati Gati Pada Gati Pada Sam Gati
War is awful, isn't it? War is awful, and it's equally awful to see that even well-meaning, deep-feeling, contemplating human beings might fall into the trap of waging war. Even in the Zen tradition, kamikaze, fighter planes, were sponsored by temples like Eheji, Myoshinji, and young monks for the glory of the superiority of an idea sent to die. Not only sent to die, but sent to kill. Akusala. Unskillful means. The teaching of the Buddha challenges us to look, to look deeply beyond the simple right and wrong dichotomy. We know that in Buddhism and through our own lives, we know that an act that sows the seeds of harmful effects is regrettable. Even if it is unavoidable. Sometimes Buddhists did fight to defend. Nations, homes, families, ideas of superiority. It doesn't matter. Fill in whatever you want. In any case, it is unskillful. Even if we cannot see it as wrong, oh, they had to defend their homeland. Yet even in these circumstances, to harbor hate, to wish death upon, suffering, upon, upon what is called the enemy, is still a poison. And any act of war that sows these seeds of future harmful effects is akusala, unskillful. Now, we might have turned to this practice because it seems yeah, that it might be a good place to get some answers to these questions. Uh, the more simple the answer, the better. But is there an easy answer? Where is the proverbial silver bullet that Buddhism is supposed to provide us to deal with this? To first deal with, well, a virus is bad enough, killing nearly a million human beings in the United States.
United States alone. And then even if it is just one country that decides to inflict warfare onto another country, how do we get to these answers? There are no easy answers. And you know, when you listened to what Soren Roshi expressed in his poetry, it is difficult. It is hard. Practice at times seems hard, but not as hard as that. Gensha Shivi wore clothes that were rough and no shoes. But to force other human beings to give up their homes, to give up their places of worship, of education, of celebration of life for an idea. It's completely different. So, what we can see by coming here is that societies and humanity at large, at a large scale, exposes what happens in the human mind as an archetypical human innate conundrum and challenge that we face. What happens on the large scale that we call war happens on the small scale within our minds. This is where the power of this practice and similar approaches lie. And the first step is the acknowledgement of that we carry those seeds in us, that we only live constantly committing acts of akusala, unskillful acts. We eat, even if we eat a piece of broccoli. That is life we are taking. So there is some kind of effect. But Seppo Gison said about Gensha, he's a true ascetic, somebody who has given up home who has given up food, who has given up shelter, given up clothing, non-attachment. You are a reborn sage, he called him, a reborn sage. We all are reborn sages. We are savon. We know, we see, we hear. We have will. We can do things. Seppo asks, why don't you go on pilgrimage to study Zen? What an interesting question. Because, of course, Seppo knew that Gensha went on pilgrimage. On pilgrimage. 
doing hensan, literally engaging in an action from beginning to end. That's what hensan means. Soup to nuts. From the beginning to see it through to the very end. And it is a life journey. That is what is inspiring about it. This session is called March On. March On is that Hensan, that going on no matter what. To look deeper, to dig a little deeper and more. Then to relax, to relax a little more so that we can grow, grow, grow in all directions equally. Sadaijin Nadi, a reborn wise person, becoming a living wise person, really learning to understand what peace means. What is peace? Not the dualistic peace that is in opposition to war. No. Peace is an activity, not a static state. Successful and active. Alive involvement in the necessary introspection that will reveal the underlying principles that the Buddha spoke about. Looking into the eye of greed, anger, and delusion. Samsara is cyclical. There is no better expression of samsara than war. Today, you are the victor. Tomorrow, you lose another war. And the cycle goes on and on. The power of this practice lies in break this cycle. To clearly see into the motivations that make us commit these acts of akusala, of unskillful manifestation. We might sit on the cushion and fight battles. It's hard to get out of it. And some battles have to be fought, even if inherently it is still unskillful. But if we arrive at such a point, we have to arrive at that point by clearly seeing what we are doing and not draping a cloth of righteousness, good intent over it. So let us fight our own battles internally so that we don't end up as a victor or as someone defeated, but someone whose battles become smaller and smaller. 
until they completely vanish. And if we have to do something that is unskillful, by all means, let's make sure that we go from its beginning to the end and live it responsibly. Tokyo was bombed. Because there was a war. It doesn't matter who started it, because in the end, as I said, war is always unskillful. And here we have our battle to fight, to ask ourselves, how can I sit here on my buttocks, while people are bombed, hospitals are attacked. How can I sit here where refugees spill over into other countries? And yet, because their skin is different, they are refused entry. Who's responsible for all of that? We are, because we are human beings, but we can change it. And where can we change it? Right here. It's a worthwhile undertaking. It is the reason why Soren Roshi came over here. It is the reason why Seppo, why Seppo and Genshashibi practice. We have to live up, live up to this being a reborn sage. And there won't be any simple answer. I'm sorry. It will be hard. It will be difficult. We will have to commit at times these unskillful acts. But we live it through. From the beginning, Hensan, to the very end. So why don't you go on that pilgrimage, Seppo asked, very well knowing that Gensha had made his life doing just that. Gensha responded, Bodhidharma didn't come to China. The second ancestor didn't go to India. The apples didn't fall. All it was. Soren Roshi never came to America. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. 
If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.